0: Welcome to the Weekly Notebook Review. I am Robert McGrorty. This podcast takes on a bit of a different format, where we are live each week on Twitter Spaces. I crack open my notebook and review Hedgeye research with anyone who wants to learn a better way to invest. We feature both Hedgeye power users, as well as some special guests that might pop in. If you want to learn more about our research, visit Hedgeye.com. If you'd like to participate in the live stream, follow me on Twitter at HedgeyeRJM. Now, let's review the data. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, apologies for being a couple minutes late, but the old boss man, Mister Mucker himself, gave me a quick call before uh, going live. But I will let everybody kind of dial in, and then we can rock and roll from there.
1: Mitchell, absolute pleasure to have you on. Hey, brother. Good to be here. Try to try to jump on for about a half hour before I have another call at five. But that always a pleasure.
0: Oh, that sounds perfect. We'll um, we'll come to you first, then, Bud. Okay.
1: Uh, lead off.
0: <laughs> Can you handle it? Can you handle it, Just, uh, uh, I'm not giving. There is the no
1: way. There is no way to to follow trend. So I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> and uh, I'm not giving you the sign to bunt. All right. I want you to swing for the fences. Um,
1: I'll try to risk <laughs> manage around it. How
0: about that? That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, awesome. Awesome. All right, so um, why don't we get into it? All right, so it's February, what is it, February 8th, 4.30 in the afternoon here on the East Coast. Welcome all. Hope everyone's having a great day and a great week. Uh, zero DTEs, they go both ways, baby. Um, today was 481,000 contracts printing at 410. Those puts printed. Um, so goes both ways. We've seen them do calls. Now we've seen them do puts. Uh, and this thing is uh, is the real deal, right? Keith uh, Keith mentioned it on the Macro Show. Uh, this morning he's talked about it a couple times, and and keeps mentioning it in in the RTAs. So, uh, you know, this is a critical information here inside of the RTAs, where he's given given us insights into what he's seen on the board, uh, what he's talking about with um, with with real kind of you know with big time portfolio managers and hedge fund hedge fund managers across the board. So, uh, again, this is uh, if you're not paying attention to the RTAs, uh, I won't say. You know, it's it's directionally important in terms of what inventory he's going after. For instance, uh, one of the ones that at the end of the day was in the REIT space, and he mentioned that on on the Macro Show this morning, uh, and then kind of went to the went to the wood with it this afternoon. And so, again, if if you're not paying attention to not only you know, you know the, the the sectors and the general uh, location in which he's uh, where he's pivoting and positioning his portfolio. Uh, but also in the intricacies in regards to the coaching notes. Uh, this is critical information right now in this game where we are squarely in the chop bucket. I tweeted that out yesterday. It's the chop bucket. The top end of the risk range hasn't been kind of north of 23 in quite some time. And this morning, uh, you know, reiterating that, uh, in fact, it was uh, uh, about 1769 to 2105 uh, this morning. So that is uh, a, a smidgen over 21 on the top end of the risk range on the VIX. And that should tell you exactly, uh, in terms of positions and uh, p- positioning and that kind of thing that, uh, you know, leaning more net neutral, let, net long, although Keith did pivot that and told us, um, you know, where he, he was in, in one of those coaching notes this afternoon. Uh, so again, I'm not going to you know divulge that information out here, uh, for free, but if you're interested in, in it, um, head com or email support, you can go sign up for those RTAs. And if you're, and again, if you're, if you're looking at those RTAs more from a immediate term trading standpoint, totally cool. But I will say, and I've told this to many, many people, said it down in Miami Regional, those RTAs are absolute glimpses into uh, what is actually transpiring out there in the market. So even if you're not trading your portfolio in that manner, as in touching it, you know, a couple times a day or multiple times a day, uh, just having those RTAs get delivered to your inbox or via the the mobile app. Again, it's 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 better than any source of information you could get from, uh, let alone CBC or Market Watch or Wall Street Journal in terms of what's actually transpiring out there in the marketplace. I know over the summertime when I was uh, uh, transitioning to the new role here, uh, you know, when I was on the golf course or just out and about with the family, uh, those RTAs were critical for me in terms of uh, knowing exactly what was going on, and I could read those and and get that glimpse. So I uh, just wanted to start off by saying that, reiterating. Um, the great job that, that Coach uh, has been doing in terms of trying to disseminate this information and the very challenging environment that we're in, in terms of uh, having to use sort of both sides of the brain. As I joked last night, but Keith reiterated this morning on the macro show, uh, you know, you can have all this economic data and, and quad four environments happening in terms of, uh, you know, where we're at and, and the economic data that's rolling in. But the signal, or certainly in the near term, uh, kind of using using that side of the brain as well in in regards to as I mentioned being, you know, uh, kind of really pivoting on either side of net neutral on a on a almost daily basis given uh, what's happening in this chop bucket. But with that, I'll uh, I'll pass over to uh, my man Mitchell from Other Side Asset Management, uh, and he can kind of walk through what he's seeing right now because I know you've got a little bit of a tight timeline, man.
1: That's all right. Uh, I'm. I'm probably seeing what what many of you guys are seeing, uh, and what Keith called out on the morning call. Um, it's it's interesting. We talked about this last Wednesday, right? We talked about um, we talked about removing your biases from what you think should happen, right? So it's not as if Coach hasn't had twenty plus longs in the RTAs. Uh, I'm sorry, not in the RTS. In in the macro uh, macro Pro uh, subscription, and uh, if you look, if you don't subscribe to Macro Pro, uh, last I checked, I think there were more longs than shorts in ETF Pro. Uh, I I, I want to say that that's how my notebook lined up the other day. So we're we're obviously very bearish. I think all of us are bearish who who follow Hedge Eye. At the same time, what we talked about last week is what coach reiterated the past couple of days it's figuring out how to remove that bearish sentiment when you're staring at these odtes when um the 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 risk ranges are uh w- when when markets are moving past the risk ranges it's doing things incrementally it's not getting too full uh on certain things its position sizing as you've reiterated last week i reiterated last week um <clears throat> So yesterday was a frustrating day for me a little bit because I was down slightly, a handful of basis points, but I'm, I'm net long. Um, I'm just not net long the shit that was up. Right. So uh, I've tried to read the tea leaves from what uh, Keith has been talking about. And I'm focusing my, my net longs more so on the quad four plays that have, sold off in the past couple of days and I've gotten, I've taken time to get bigger in them, right? So I have focused on gold uh, getting bigger on the sell-off from last Thursday's number. Um, I have, I, I got bigger Thursday. I got bigger Friday, uh, bigger on Friday than, uh, than on Thursday. So I think that's the way y- you play it, right? As, as you get closer to the bottom end of the risk range, you get bigger, Uh, If you're waiting for the absolute bottom, that's not doing things incrementally, I don't think, but um, I got bigger in gold. I got bigger in treasuries. I added some duration. So yesterday where my treasuries were not working, um, they were today, right? So uh, IEF was up today. TLT was up today. ZROZ was up today. Um, One of the things I didn't touch The past couple days was EPHE because I don't know where trend is on that. uh, But I had a feeling it was getting close. And today, Coach reiterated EPHE on the call uh, or on the macro show. So I have not gotten rid of that. But I did get rid of PPLT yesterday or two days ago. And I think they just updated ETF Pro and it's out. Right. So um, dollar uh, dollar getting a little overbought as I think uh we've been noticing. Coach has been pretty clear in that and those who follow the Macro Pro subscription saw it pretty much down uh on the list in terms of where uh where coach's re ranking was. Um oil, I did not short more today, uh, but I am getting closer to shorting more. Um it's it's getting towards the top end uh of the risk range if I'm not mistaken. Let me take a look. Uh, 78, four, 78, 475, uh, top end of the risk range is a little bit higher, but this is where I'll start incrementally laying out some depending upon where it opens tomorrow and where the bottom end of the range possibly moves up to. Uh, but if I'm, I'm a betting guy, I'll probably be shorting a little bit more of that tomorrow. So um, I'm trying to stay away from the areas that the ODTEs... Uh, Effect, but at the same time as you, myself, and, and X2 were kind of talking about behind the scenes, they go both ways on the on the ODTEs. And at the same time, the question becomes, when is it when is it the puts and when is it the calls? Right? When are they gonna bang the calls higher and when are they, you know, knocking the puts lower? Um and I think that's just a function of paying attention. Um, you know, as you noted, four hundred and eighty-one thousand contracts on the puts at the four tens. That's huge, right? So I'll still, you know, I call it what Keith calls it. It's outright manipulation, especially when you're banging them up thirty plus thousand, forty thousand contracts with four minutes left into the day. There's that's nothing but manipulation, and and by the definition of the the SEC, you know, Securities Exchange Act of 34. So, um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, in the notebook this morning, you know, Microsoft was three bucks away from its its top end of the risk range. Google was. $3 away from the top end of its risk range and Apple was $3 away from the top end of its risk range. Things everyone should notice. Uh, XLK was two bucks away from the top end of its risk range. So shorting NASDAQ was, was the, you know, was was how markets were lining up just paying attention to the ODTEs uh, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm getting long duration here. I think proper quad four, if we're not looking to trade, you know, everything, in, everything, everything, day to day uh i think that's the longer term more intermediate term trade from the standpoint of uh this deterioration in economic data is staring us squarely in the face So the 30 year uh 20 year and 10 years should start to move lower off the top ends of its ranges uh and the two year is probably going to stick pinned high based upon fed no pivot um So so that's kind of what I'm seeing. I'm staying towards the quad four plays and many of those quad four plays will still or should still do well as we pivot to quad one, where I don't think we're close. I think we see an absolute disaster moving forward, but we're going to risk manage today not moving forward. But still, you're straddling quad four, quad one, if and when that eventually does pivot.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that's nail on the head. Um, <clears throat> one quick thing, though, on, on treasuries is that I uh, just got 10-year put in a lower low and a higher high this morning. So just keep an eye on that. You know, this is where, you know, sometimes that expanding risk range can uh, really, it can it's kind of a reflection of price. So obviously, all these ranges are price volume and volatility. Uh, but the good news is um, move did, I think, move uh, kind, kind of moved a little bit. A little bit down uh today. Yep.
1: Uh two point b- three three percent down.
0: Exactly, yeah. So a few pips. So again, volatility is below trend. It's in the right it's uh you know it's it, it's it's doing the right thing. Uh but I just want to uh, anytime you've got kind of, you know the top end of the risk range or bottom end. Right, right by the trend. Uh, right yep. by trend on, on either side. So right now absolutely, you know, it's been added You're to the play. On. Yeah, it's been you know, TLT for instance, um been you know it's it's been added to the playbook. IEF as well, and but again, this is sort of incrementally doing so until we get a little bit more confirmation. Uh, in terms of signal, what you're going to want to look for in that 10-year is both a lower low and a lower high, and then the immediate term top end of that risk range um, to be falling under the trend level. So again, just, just for those listening in uh, that are looking for kind of clues as to maybe when Keith and or... Um, you know, really, one would, would potentially get a little bit bigger yeah, or have a little bit more, I guess, um, conviction Eviction. is the right word. But, yeah, but the sig- yeah, I mean, conviction is the right word, but I don't really like using some of those old wall terminologies, right, Uh, right mm-hmm. uh But, no, just in terms of, like, where the signal would be. Um, Confirmation. Be a, uh, Confirmation yeah, confi- that, confir- that the signal is working. You. Confirming. That's the word I'm looking for. You're the man. Uh, that's that's kind of the, the type of thing that you'd be looking for. So the the yield curve is uh, is definitely doing its thing too at minus eighty one. Uh, so that bad boy just uh, just keeps getting uh, more inverted, and it's quite quite something to to behold. It's it's minus eleven basis points as of this morning on a month over month ba- uh, month over month uh, standpoint, and uh, in percentage change terms, as minus sixteen point three. So uh, just keep an eye on that yield curve. Uh, that's, uh, that's the 10s and 2s for those listening in. Uh, the the two-year remains still bullish uh, trading trend uh, and those uh, with the 10-year and 30-year, and both, um, both bearish trends. So big pivots there. I'd say I, I that would be a big thing we'd be talking about. Uh, global re- yields are really confirming that. You're getting that kind of from hawkish um, standpoints out of multiple central banks. Um, I believe India raised rates this morning. Uh, Canada reaffirmed that uh, inflation is going to be a key priority for them uh so again these these central banks uh continue to do so ecb was out as well so um you know this this economic data as i alluded to at the beginning of the call uh is absolutely kind of rolling in in quad four environment and uh but you got to kind of manage this near-term risk and, and near-term components here um with with that sort of uh data in mind so again there's a uh,
2: Yeah, that's that's kind of yeah,
1: and that just a couple quick, quick notes Um, in in adding duration, right? uh, We can get up to 10% in a handful of different holdings. So I'm nowhere close to 10% in any of my holdings, right? So to your point, you know, just keep an eye on where the 10 year is from the standpoint of trend, right? And as we get that uh, confirmation via the signal, uh, Keith, signal and where trend is. And once we get below, you know, once the top end of the range gets below trend, uh, we will have a bit more of a confirmation, um, then we can really get bigger on sell-offs, right? And then at the same time, dollar, uh, three days in a row now putting in higher lows. Um, obvi- yes, lower highs, I get it. Yes, it's done this before. Uh, but I guess if we're talking out of the last eight days uh, dating back to January 27th where it moved from a 101 to 5 up to a 10129 from the 26th into the 27th outside of the second February 2nd, it's now put in higher lows. So it's that doesn't mean jump in head first. it doesn't mean or take away anything that we talked about where it's uh, intermediate term overbought. At the same time, that's what we want to be seeing um, in a quad four environment. So, uh, or for for dollar bulls, right? So, uh, as we start to see more and more of those, and then as we start to see the top end of the range move higher, that will give us more of a confirmation that the 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 uh, the dollar may be poised to move higher at a more rapid pace. Just something to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, and, and so so just to elaborate on that, the risk-range consolidation uh, can often be a very uh, good signal um, ahead of basically consolidation means to be, you know, typically a, a big component there is, is volatility coming out of that asset, right? So it's kind of uh, – and, and, and really it's because price isn't moving as much either, right? So this right. is uh, – th- that can be a very uh, – can lead to uh, kind of positive momentum to the top side. But, uh, you know, it really kind of depends on the direction of that volatility. If volatility kind of, um, you know, blows back out. Uh, it can be you know, it's a little tricky because it can be positive, like increased vol with, you know, up price momentum and up volume. Uh, but typically you would, you would kind of like to see, you know, that volatility remaining kind of, um, you know, down and, and low. With with price moving higher on volume, so uh, just keep an eye out there. Yeah, great call out on the dollar. I think that's really important. You're seeing a couple key kind of components kind of pivoting there, in regards to and really some divergences. And, and I shared some stuff that that um, Chris Moyer uh, tweeted out earlier this afternoon over along those lines. So again, those are kind of his some of the his kind of data points and signals that that he's kind of built on um, for himself, but. I thought it'd be worthwhile, or obviously it's very worthwhile, to kind of share um, all sorts of different data pieces from Hedgehog Nation, and, and I see Muni guys coming up too. So we'll talk. We'll talk Muni's in a minute. Um, Hedgehog's got their hand up. I'll go to you in just one second. Let me just finish this sort of thought on on FX. So with FX, you know, euro, uh, the yen, the the Canadian dollar, the British pound, uh, you know, the the Canadian dollar. Is certainly uh, from a signal standpoint, um, putting in uh, some some uh, lower, so kind of low, lower, it's kind of relatively flat uh, day over day, but kind of on a week over week basis, lower lows and lower highs. Uh, that can ov- that can correlate uh, to the uh, to to oil. Uh, so c- keep that in mind. But there also is a lot of uh, mining in Canada as well. So you know this could be one of those situations in Canada where. You get a weaker oil, uh, but perhaps you know um, stronger metals and mining complex. So that may be a bit of a wash uh, there. But really, uh, as I mentioned, the, the you know Canadian central bank is is a uh, you know likely has a bit more of an influence if they keep raising rates and stuff like that. Um, what's going on there in, in, in currency land? But the pound to me is really one that that probably stands out as a somewhat divergence here uh, over the last sort of few days versus what we've seen the last few weeks to months in in regards to the pound. Uh, And and that is uh, continued sort of, um, uh, yeah, like that's a lower low on a day-over-day basis. Um, So again, this is one of these things where you want to see those lower lows and sort of the risk range potentially kind of widening a little bit, meaning volatility is, re- is returning or coming to that asset, and, and you could see for the down, downside risk. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to kind of highlight that on the FX side. Uh, Hedgehog, you got your hand raised. The floor is yours. Welcome.
3: Yeah, just a quick, quick question. Um, I've been doing the same thing as other side regarding gold and treasuries, but I was curious what you were doing with the miners. Um, and also, Keith, this morning, kind of made a cryptic comment that he doesn't expect uh, the gold trend to hold necessarily. So,
4: I, don't, I don't, if anyone can expand on that, that'd be good as well. Uh,
1: is that a question for me or for Robert? Yeah, I can, uh, you can take it, Mitchell, if you want. Um, so, I didn't get that out of Keith uh, this morning. Uh, maybe I missed it. Um, it's definitely not what I got out of. Him from the standpoint of uh, yeah. the mid-quarter update call yesterday. I don't yeah. know if you were on it, but
0: Hedgehog. yeah, Mitchell. I mean, sorry to interrupt, but I wrote down "Screamer equals the gold trade." Uh, so I don't. What did I'm gonna have to review that? You're talking about it holding trend.
5: Is that what you heard?
4: I I thought it was just a comment about um, you know. By the way, you know, I don't necessarily
3: expect this to hold forever, or something like that.
1: Well, um, well, maybe forever is after quad four <laughs> into quad one or oh. a different. I, I don't know this. I think I I don't want to put words in Keith's mouth, nor do I want to give up something from the Mac uh, from the macro themes. But I think gold and the gold theme, in his opinion, is one of the best setups out there in all of global macro, yeah. I'll just reiterate just, what you don't want to get over your skis on it, yeah, right?
0: Screamer. The gold trade is scream, the screamer play. So, uh, that, yeah, it's the
1: one
3: that's yeah okay, so the gold, yeah, the gold trade is a screamer. So, um, are
6: the miners the screamers as well? well as so, it's not mine. miners so, are
0: created so equal, right? So yeah. Much. Here's but, here's, so, here's yeah. I mean, he booted he booted silver juniors this uh, this afternoon uh, from ETF Pro. Uh, so right. I think I think the, on the gold miners uh, certainly. Uh, Look look more attractive and were added to the risk ranges this back to the risk ranges this morning Uh, They had been just in in the out bucket So again, I think that should give you another inclination as to the importance of uh, GDX as an equity uh, exposure
1: At the same time at the same time I'd piggyback off what Robert just said and try to answer your other question Um, I'm long more gold than I am gold miners and junior miners so I will beta adjust those from the standpoint of I'll get much bigger in gold than I will miners and junior miners. And at the same time, I would reiterate or or not reiterate, but keep in mind if and when we get a VIX explosion again, I'm expecting one if and when we get it. I don't think anything's investable. So, you know, I will definitely be keeping an eye on GVZ if and when that happens At the same time, I will be very, very quick to pull miners and junior miners. Um, If you go back to uh, 2008, if you go back to 2020, when VIX exploded, everything sold off, including those. But they were also very quick to come back and recover. The miners and junior miners were very quick to recover. So. I, I think in the in, in what could be a flush or a downdraft, just be careful and be you know be mindful of how big you get in those. Uh, but at the same time, they're quad four plays. Um, but the equity is much more uh, volatile than gold itself. So yeah, I just play the reason, from the standpoint. Yeah,
7: of... yeah. The, what I wanted to add to what Mitch said was the beta one year beta on the junior miners, GDXJ, is 0.78. The beta on GDX, just the gold miners, is 0.49, while that on GLD, just gold, is 0.11. So when Mitch is saying about beta adjustment, pay attention, very important, that GLD is not the same as GDX, is not the same as GDXJ. Uh, Keep in mind your beta, as well as keep in mind when equity sells off, GLD may hold, but GDX or GDXJ may not hold as to Yeah, so just keep keep that in mind. Just wanted to add that data, Mitch. Go ahead. And, and yeah, no, 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 that, go ahead.
0: yeah, and on that point, I mean, on a beginner's guide on Friday, I, I reviewed a lot about volatility, adjusting those positions as well. And my examples were gold, as in GLD, GDX, and then gold, as in bear gold, G-O-L-D, uh, using those as yep. kind of three separate examples in the uh, realized volatility. Uh, or, uh, components. So the, again, so hedgehog, I think a key piece there is the equities will trade like equities, right? So at VIX 28, they're going to, they, they, it's possible that they look a lot different than at VIX you know, 19, 18, 20. Uh, so just keep right. that in mind as you're, um, as you're reviewing and, and then vault volatil- and not, you know, so beta adjust volatility, adjust that sizing, so that uh, if things do get you know a little offside there, or they take a hit with the spike in volatility, as in underlying VIX equity volatility, then uh, you know they're 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 sized appropriately, um, and that kind of thing. So just just kind of keep that in mind. But in terms of uh, overall exposure, and in in, in in the it was a, a big theme yesterday was certainly uh, you know gold, precious metals, and and the, and the related components and the exposures therein uh to capture that full investing cycle
6: okay yeah. well that's how i'm positioned so thanks for the verification yeah, yeah. it's
0: early days too yeah. right like like you know don't uh we don't need to chase anything right you just kind of incrementally build upon those those position sizing and um and again you know uh managing them on on, on up days and down days and that kind of thing
1: so just uh yes yeah, it's, yeah right. go ahead Robert, before I jump, I want to ask you a question. Um, uh, KM lightened up on a few of those earlier today. Now, my question is, did he lighten up on some of them because they're getting closer to trend or because he was just moving some inventory? Um, And then I got to jump for my five. But do you have a a thought on that or am I reading too much into it?
0: I mean, uh, I think so. They were up. They're up pretty big on the open, you know, GLD, silver. Okay. So I, I, I would think, and I don't know this because I, I didn't specifically ask him this question today, but uh, I would think that he went probably bigger in them on into the close yesterday, and then just wanted to and, and he was able to slip just, out and a little bit. He just wanted to lighten up. Yeah, exactly right. So that that would, be, okay. that would be that would be my take. I, I wouldn't really read too much into them. Their core core exposures, uh, you know, going down. Yeah, their core their core exposures at the moment. So I I would think it's that was more of a tactical move. And if you didn't make that move like him, uh, you know I, I don't think it it's obviously not a big deal. Everybody trades and, and leverages their portfolio and portfolio construction differently. Uh, but at the same time, you know be conscientious as to like what is your overall sizing and exposure. Uh, you know if we see some kind of potential uh, weakness there, he kicked out he kicked out silver juniors. So that those, those yep. that signal um, I don't know if they broke trend, but normally in e t f pro something breaks trend, it's out, or if the signal just doesn't look as good, it's out, so it's kind of like two two there. I know there's a question on the arena, like what do I do um, you know if it's out of e t f pro it's for a reason
1: yep.
5: Hello. Hey, Robert. Yeah.
0: Hey, Arthur. Sorry. Can you guys hear me? For do? some reason, my my headphones yeah,
5: disconnected. I, I, yeah, I think you went dead for a minute. Oh, My bad. My <laughs> bad. Thought I thought I thought maybe you were just waiting for some, one of us to jump. No, off, my but... fault. I
0: don't know what happened. My like, <laughs> no. yeah, my headphones just disconnected randomly. So,
5: um,
0: can, can you hear me? Okay, though, Arthur. Is everything good? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Yep. I think I think all I was saying is that you know the signal is the signal. So platinum, Silver Juniors, those got booted today. Uh, just be, you know, conscientious of those position sizing, especially as some of that weakness starts to show up.
5: Yeah, I just wanted to jump up since we're talking, yeah. you know, about uh, what's going on here in the middle of the chop bucket because I think that's really crucial. When you know, at any point in time, you got to know where you are, which bucket you're in, and I don't know if this might help others, but over the years, what I've tried to do is if I'm going to go long or short in anything before I put that on or what I'm going to put that on, I already know what I got going against that. I'm on the other side of that um, just as a rule um, to help me, you know, keep myself disciplined as far as not getting the portfolio construction too much, you know, one way or another, particularly when you're in the chop bucket. So, you know, I mean, I think the core one for me right now, given what I'm hearing from Edge Eye is, you know, you got your uh, TLT, IEF long versus your junk and high yield short. I mean, those are perfectly, I think, beta adjusted, a great position to have on given, you know, what I see coming down the road, but that's an example, you know, so you have your, you know, you can have crypto versus short something long and, you know, China long versus, you know, some, other beta beta that you want in the states for example uh short so i just that framework that mindset i think is uh something i always like to try to do and i force myself uh, before if i initiate a position okay so what's going to go do i have something against this if i don't what's it going to be does the beta look about right and if the beta is off but i still want to do it then i adjust it as far as sizing just kind of the way i'm looking at things
0: Yeah, that's that's great insight, Arthur. Uh, absolutely, and, and and I would echo that. Uh, now, for those that can't that can't go both ways, or that can't run a long short book, or are uncomfortable doing so, uh, you know, the if you can't have something on the other side, uh, again, just review the you know what I would call volatility adjusting those positions slash beta adjusting those positions. That's going to help with the the swings, uh, to either the downside or the upside. And that's, and, and review, we've talked about this a couple of times, but reviewing what is your overall portfolio goal? Is it absolute returns? Is it, you know, risk managed? Is it, you know, is it more risk management, AKA you're managing your nest egg for you and your family or your retirement account. And you're really just trying to navigate the drawdown and minimize that. So if that's the case, then, in this environment regardless of whether you can go long short having a, a strong you know a, uh, a a relatively you know strong cash position is a position i did this yesterday too that is a decision whether you act or don't act you know not acting in an environment is an action in it, in and of itself so just remember that it's, it's not a big deal to be in cash like it's okay um you, you know and yeah. and, you can, and you can still be you know engaging on a regular basis but not always pulling the trigger or putting on the trade, right,
7: trend in terms of...
0: Yeah, um, yeah I actually really wanted
7: to bring in the quote of Benoit Mandelbrot in this. Please, so please. In yeah, the book, uh, Misfavor of Markets, he has a very interesting line that always stayed at the back of my head. And last year, when we started in January, if everybody remembers, if you were on the spaces, uh, one of the things I mentioned was that the Fed gave us a huge gift in form of the expansion of balance sheet back in 2020, 2021, and I just wanted to preserve it. So the relevant quote from Benoit Mandelbrot from The Misbehavior of Markets, I still remember the page for some reason because I've referred that so many times. The line is as follows. You cannot beat the market, says the standard market doctrine, granted. But you can sidestep its worst punches. So very critical to understand that, um, that... You don't have to go short, right? Um, And uh, you can just sidestep the worst punches by uh, just keeping a cash allocation available. And in cash, there's uh, pretty cool uh, funds available, such as VMFXX, which is a money market fund, in order to uh, get really good yield um, over the next four months, six months, one year, in case if you're not comfortable or if you don't have any, uh, conviction on which way to go, especially given that, you know, we're trading at like eighteen, nineteen, four P on the S and while the estimates are coming down, uh, not knowing where we are going to head. Um, right now we do have a draft of net liquidity coming in from end of December through now, uh, giving us these kind of, uh, you know, almost evisceration of, uh, the, uh, the shorts, um, resulting in this sort of situation. Um, so definitely, if based on what are your investment policy statement is, again, this is not an investment advice. I am not a fiduciary. You should do your own due diligence. You should consult your own financial advisor. Uh, but definitely, uh, one can sidestep the worst punch uh, from the market and, uh, you know, still beat a lot of people.
5: Uh, in this business, hey trend uh, I was wonder if I could ask the board a uh, comment on um, crypto yeah, go for
7: right
5: it. For it. yeah crypto right now the lower highs higher lows narrowing range um, bearish trend what does anyone on the board feel comfortable on on a read on what's going on there because it's I'm having a tough time figuring that one out. Was, sorry, was well, that on? I've been I, net long.
7: Missed,
0: sorry, Trent, I missed the first part. Was this on, on high yield growth? No, 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 Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin. Sorry, okay, thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Trent. Yeah. I apologize. I just I missed that first piece on like what we were referring to. Got it. Yep.
7: Yeah, no, I I've been net long in general. I don't have a Bitcoin exposure at the moment, Arthur. But uh, I've been net long, uh, risk on from January tenth, uh, eleventh timeframe, uh, just because of a whole lot of signals that came my way in my process right my process uses uh, inputs from hedge process to augment it uh so I, I have my own process which i've shared with the community in the past when rob did that interview it's on youtube if you just search on youtube trend so there's only one video that pops up so uh, at this moment from a crypto standpoint i don't have an exposure part of part of the reason is that when that whole saga began in early november between cz and uh Uh, CZ and uh, the FTX guy, SBF. At that point of time, I literally took out everything from Binance, everything from all other crypto locations, including Coinbase, um, and I did not leave anything on the exchanges. And, you know, as and when intraday, if I have to do any trades, I've shared with Rob in the past once, I have a basket which I've created. I would just say, okay, 4% of this basket, boom, go and buy it and then I would eventually close it at the end of the day. So especially on squeeze days uh, that basket kind of works out really well. Uh, At this moment uh, I have no uh, view uh, but uh, I do look out for Bitcoin and altcoin and that entire space as one of the uh, really high frequency short term leading indicator uh, for NASDAQ.
5: Yeah they're they're pretty correlated it's just the comment uh, or trend. Forget, forget that I'm even talking about Bitcoin. But the idea of a higher, low, lower, lower, high, narrowing range, bearish trend, high volatility asset like uh, a Bitcoin or like Beto a uh, Bito, or I don't know how you pronounce it. Keith got on the board uh, short right now, um, and I'm a little short with it too. And it's just kind of sitting there, that making uh, lower highs uh, last three days and higher lows and it's been moving down and I'm just curious anybody get a read on that or uh, any comment that I missed from Keith on that. Thanks.
0: Yeah. I don't, um, anybody on the panel?
2: Oh, you know, I'll talk crayons.
0: All right. Let's do it. <laughs> let's, do it. Let's, let's talk crayons. I mean, you've heard a lot of my voice today, so let's pass the fuck. To oh, no worries.
2: Yeah. I got a, I got a couple of things, but we can start with this. Um, Again, I'm not a fiduciary. I, I draw lines on charts. Um, for Bitcoin, there is a massive gap from that initial flushdown from last June. Um, and we are, the bottom of that gap is right around 25,000, which is, of course, you know, the, the law of big round numbers as well, um, so, we flushed through there, came up, tried to get above it, couldn't flush further. This is the first attempt back up towards twenty five thousand and there's like very little volume in there. um I'm just charting off the futures. I don't have the the actual coin volume or volatility or anything um, so, what we have is kind of mean reversion back up to that level and that's the spot to watch. Is if we can get in there, it's possible for it to go higher quickly, or it could just reject out of there and go back down um, just from a, a charting perspective. Anyone have
7: anything to add? Leslie, are you referring to the gap between 28814 and 7609?
2: Yep. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah, and, and I'm just looking at the futures, so I, I drew a big old box through that gap, and we are just now starting to come up towards it.
7: Um, right. It was. It happened yeah. in June, just for people. Uh, if you want to go back to your charts and yeah. read, it's uh, it was between 10th and 13th of June.
0: Yep. Yeah, so, uh, Arthur. What I'd say on a week over week basis, that's it's put in a it's putting in a higher low. Uh, but a lower high, but then on a day-over-day basis, that's a lower low and, and a lower high. Um, so that would be my takeaway, is that lower low and lower high is the first signal of breakdown. You see that uh, frequently. Um, we called it out a couple weeks ago in XLP and XLU, and those started to break down. Same with XLV. Uh, so, again, th- that's, that's a really good sign when you're in your notebook, uh, when you're starting to see those, uh, that lower low and lower high uh, being put in. That that's a really good indication, uh, and especially something in a bearish trend. So if you've got a, a bearish trend and it puts in that lower low, that means the uh, you know the the probability is is increasing that it can go lower, right? So regardless of where that low is, it means it's increasing. As I said, I'm going to say it again because it's important. The probability is increasing that it can go lower, um, and so that that's a, that's a telltale sign. So that to me, uh, that's. Uh, whether you have a position in it or not, this is where you know that that was circled and squared and starred in my notebook this morning, uh, Arthur. Because I've been I've been chomping at the bit to try to you know put on uh, a position again inside of inside of uh, um, yeah, just just in, inside of the Bitcoin crypto world uh, and going back to Hedgehog's commentary about uh, GDX and gold miners. Uh, if you get an explosion in VIX and a weakness in, in BTC. Uh, getting that juice on the uh, crypto-related equities is uh, going to be
3: tasty.
2: <laughs> yeah, and a- if, I mean, and if you look at it from a psychology perspective, if there are people who just you know threw their hands up when that flush happened and said, "Okay, I'm writing this out," you have to remember, all those people are watching this big round number. 25000 that was the That was the last swing high we had. We're getting close to it. If we get up towards it, people will hold. Nobody sells all at once. But if it starts falling off of there, you could easily get a flood of people saying, this is my, my last best chance to get out. And that's where the selling will come from, is if it can't get up through that gap again. You know, you, you have people just hanging, they're watching these charts, they're looking, you know, am am I going to get anywhere near my break even or anywhere near that last high? And if it starts falling off, that's where you can start getting the flood of sellers saying, oh, oh, that was it, I'm out.
5: Yeah, thank, thank you guys so much. That clarifies sort of a lot. Thank you very much.
2: Hey, Yeah, Robert. yeah, yeah.
8: On that note, too, on Bitcoin, uh, the other thing too, I've noticed for the last probably about the last week or so, the volumes really kind of starting to fall off. Um, especially when you saw that big run up there, it, it's nowhere near what we were seeing during those weeks. And for me, the way I look at it, I mean, if it,
9: let's see, what is it,
8: 22,590 is the number. I worry if it doesn't hold that, I think we're going to start to see um, the more weakness. I, I'm still. I'm as upside down as Keith is on RTA because I was shorting it right there same time he was. I, I use Biddy. I, I don't short Vito. I just buy Biddy. And um, I just I just think you just need to hold on because um, with everything else, this thing's going to go back down too. I don't know how far it'll go, but at the very least, I, I suspect I'll be able to get untrapped at some point in time. So Andrew, just
7: keep in mind that the inverse ETFs are promising you the return only for that session especially inverse and the levered ETFs and the way it works out just from a percentage and math basis is that when you have this kind of sideways or choppy market the inverse ETFs tend to go down and over a period of time they actually don't give you the exact juice on the upside um, when the actual fall starts happening so this is true not just for BITI but also for SJB which is the uh, inverse for high yield uh, or uh, any other similar ones such as uh, you know, UVEX yeah, P- or P- PSQ,
5: PSQ yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. They, they won't give you the exact juice that you would get, you'd get a somewhat of a lesser juice you will get juice, but it won't be one for one, it would be, right. yeah, it would yeah, be a fraction would, for yeah. one Um. Andrew, yeah, The back other to you, thing,
0: Lizzie, yeah. In, the, the other Andrew's thing a I was gonna vet with the inverses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, no, that's go you, ahead, That
2: you're Bobby <laughs> <laughs> three that, X.
0: That's, that's, that's all true. You. I've never met a I've never met a three X uh, inverse. I don't yeah, lie. that you didn't like.
2: Um, as far as dollar, it's just kind of funny that the day everybody was freaking out was the day that we called it out that it had tagged tail. And what did it do the next day? It flew.
5: Freaking flew. And the day
2: after. So, you know, for anyone that's... Anybody that's freaking out that the process is broken or the math isn't working, all you need to do is see something tagging something that was advertised weeks before. I mean, that that was several weeks before that we got that tail number. It tagged it and it just bounced like crazy that's not broken um the other thing i was going to bring up was for gold Um, so one of the things and and this is a very non-degen way to use options but the the way that you can capture upside and reduce your risk is how option, uh, call options work. It gives you the positive convexity where if there were further upside, you capture it. If there is downside, you lose less and less against the premium that you've paid. Um, you just need to make sure to put them far enough out that you're not getting the theta burn. Um, pick a high enough delta to get, um, you know, something like an 80 delta is nice, so you're getting... 80 cents for every dollar of upside um, and then not over levering your book, but to capture further upside while protecting yourself from the risk of, you know, the whole market flushing gold with it. That's a really nice use for options actually. And that that's not a D gen way. That's probably a more conventional way to use options. I'm sure trend could jump in and, yeah, yeah,
7: definitely. Go so ahead. depending upon <laughs> what your risk appetite is uh, and what you're targeting, uh, that is one way. It's called as in-the-money options trade, what Leslie just described. Uh, another mechanism is called vertical. So let's say, for example, if you think that uh, gold is going to have a specific move, say, from 175 to 180 in the next three months and you want to capture that, Then you could do a call vertical of 175 to 180, meaning you buy the 175, you sell the 180. Uh, Usually, when goals at 175, this kind of uh, this kind of call vertical would cost you like 2.5. And if by March, uh, if in three months, not March, if in three months, if it actually goes above 180. Uh, you get the full five. Otherwise, you get the difference between where it's at and the 175 legs. So long story short, uh, there's multiple ways you could play it. Um, Keep in mind the one I described as really low delta, which means that um, your 2.5 is going to become 2.6, not at the same pace at which GLD is moving. Uh, And your upside is capped, meaning in most you would make five. But in percentage terms, it's a 100% return. So, depending upon how you size the position, how you look at it, et cetera, uh, you can try it both ways um, just on simulated accounts, just to get a hang or intuition of how things work out. And this is very important, right? While playing options, uh, I'd highly recommend, uh, you know, just from personal experience, to uh, do it in simulated accounts until you get a hang of how theta 1 works. How does wall crush work? Uh, how does, uh, uh, you know, there's a bunch of mechanics that work uh, from a math sense as well as um, uh, delta sense. Uh, what are the Greeks are within options? And then venture into it. Otherwise, just directly venturing in the main asset is fine too. Um, just keep tight stop losses because what happens is uh, sometimes folks don't understand the options and the Greeks, and eventually, uh, what may end up happening is your asset may end up moving in the direction that you uh, envisioned, but your option may not give you that payoff. So, uh, get a hang of it in simulated accounts. Uh, if you have that hang, awesome. Uh, then, you know, there's multiple ways to tackle it, but definitely uh, what Leslie described that you can have a defined risk. Uh, sort of an outcome uh, using options is uh, very, very important because then that way uh, you can take advantage of the really high yield that you're getting uh, by having a really low exposure um, through options for specific asset classes. So let's say if you define that you want to have 5% GLD exposure, alternator to that could be um, uh, you could buy just 1% worth of options be called verticals or 80 delta or whatever the remaining four percent you could keep it in um, vanguard money market uh, earning yield while you had defined your risk at just one percent using the option so
2: that's exactly and and that's exactly the point is you're capping your risk at the one percent if you have shares you're participating in the downside one for one and that's exactly that's where options can really shine um there's actually some great videos, and it's specifically for gold, um, as an example, that Patrick Ceresna put out a couple of years ago, um, and he, he goes through the math of how to do share replacement, um, and, and if you just Google Patrick Ceresna on uh, YouTube, I don't think he has all that many videos out there. Um,
7: oh, he's actually now associated with, uh, with uh, macro Voices. Uh, channel with Eric Townsend. Right.
2: Oh yeah, he's he's been a co-host for a while but he, yeah. he put these videos out uh, it's one of the things he does often in um, live seminars where he's part of it is he kind of highlights the um, uh, how you can use the convexity to your advantage um, and it, it happens to be gold that he goes through the example with. So if anybody's interested yeah um, in that um you just google on youtube but it's just you know it, it kind of brings up the you know using puts and things to try to hedge your book has been really difficult for the past year but this might be a case where just having call options instead of a share position or you know mix of both um might be a little more protective um give people some peace of mind
7: and what's
0: so on I one too, too that's just a little bit of a little bit of too little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a little bit and a little bit of a little bit of a of their portfolio. So they are incredibly knowledgeable. of their portfolio. So of please incredibly not But please, 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 please uh, do um, a a ton of research and understand your portfolio construction, your risk tolerance. Um, this is all about risk management. So going back to the beginning of this call, uh, and this is kind of when Trent jumped in, right? Is uh, this is and, and, and love that Mount Mandelbrot like you know you can sidestep its punches right we can sidestep, sidestep their punches I completely uh, I agree with Leslie and trend in terms of like how they're what they're talking about and expressing a gold position um, I think it, it can be a great great way uh, one way of uh, deploying this process but um, and taking advantage of what we see as a, a screamer uh, inside of the gold space but uh, but again this is uh, coming from two two folks that are incredibly not Knowledgeable in the space, uh, so please just keep that in mind.
7: Yeah, I actually wanted to <clears throat> uh, highlight upon another aspect which is uh, important, and this is this is now going slightly away from um, options. Right now, the yield available in the market uh, from rates, um, so be it VMFXX, like I mentioned. Uh, you know, I have VMFXX as the stable value fund in my uh, 401k but uh uh and it has been really <laughs> instrumental especially last year when everything went down so hard and 401k is not offering you much uh, options to um, uh, because the alternatives which you have typically in 401 ks are all long only right so how do you tackle that you sidestep it you just you just move your allocation to money market for that one really bad part, which is coming up. And then, uh, you know, uh, you would have probably outperformed a whole lot of money managers uh, out there. Um, And I was uh, discussing about this with Brian once. Um, So Brian actually told me an interesting feature that Fidelity has in something called as Fidelity Go. Uh, Brian, do you want to describe what you explained from asset allocation perspective uh, what we discussed last time, especially the linkage of that with the swap uh, uh, swap index part uh, that let's say if financial conditions are tight, what to do versus not. And I, I felt that that was an incredibly easy way to do asset allocation if you don't want to do too much active management. And I'll personally uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, give it credence that in my 401k, I did something similar, but I didn't have just an easy switch like he described to me. Um, that he witnessed and that Fidelity Go um,
4: instrument or account. Um, so, Brian, over to you. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Trenda. Uh, we were just sort of bantering back and forth on uh, some, some uh, rates. rate <laughs> Yeah, asset allocations, but it was based upon rate movement. And um, so Trend was saying, well, you know, risk on versus risk off, essentially. How can you do it easier? And I just mentioned that I don't use it. It's not advice, but I literally don't use it. It's just a feature that Fidelity has. Uh, it's called Fidelity Go, and they've got six, five or six different options, all the way from least aggressive to most aggressive. And you literally can just tap a button and then hit go, and it will essentially do 80 20 either direction or 50 50 in the middle. And it's a little easier way, I think, if you want to go risk-off versus risk-off. I think that's your point, Trent.
7: Yeah, yeah. So uh, when Brian says 80-20, that's 80 stocks, 20 bonds versus 20 stocks, 80 bonds. Um, and th- this is a, obviously, you know, you're trying to outperform the V VBINX portfolio. So V VBINX stands for the Vanguard Fund, which is famous for its multi-asset portfolio. It has a little bit of everything, kind of tries to replicate sixty forty, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's what I was trying to say, Brian. I, I know last year, 6040 also underperformed. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I, I felt that that kind of switching in asset allocation was pretty straightforward and easy, especially for folks who don't want to do active management, right? Like I've come across folks who uh amongst my friends and acquaintances who asked me that, hey, you know, I just want to preserve this. I don't want to have a drawdown. So the yields right now in the market are really, really attractive. I mean, think about it, right? Uh, You're getting one-year CDs at, I think the last I saw was 4.75. And Brian is probably more uh, up-to-date with that than me. But I think it was 4.75, the last one I saw from Truish Bank uh, in terms of CDs,
0: yeah, I, uh, yeah, Brian. I was just gonna say, why don't we just uh, you shared a couple of thoughts on on muni's earlier. Why don't we to get a, a good pivot, right, in terms of that that, that portion of the fixed income uh, space? And I know you are you are always so kind to share what you are seeing in regards to the the muni world and, and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, the floor is yours,
4: my man. Sure, um,
0: and thank you. Appreciate
4: it. I haven't been on in a little while, but uh, the the anxiety meter when it goes up, uh, I start getting pinged more on muni bonds. So, uh, I thought I would. Um, uh, just share a few things that um, that that I'm seeing. Um, nothing is advice, of course, just observations. Um, first of all, I, I wasn't planning on discussing this, but I, um, I watch a rate called SIFMA. SIFMA is a tax-exempt weekly rate. The reason that it's important is that um, your leveraged funds, they have a, a tender option bond piece. That's kind of like off to the right that provides leverage. Uh, they will um, buy 5%, 4% coupon municipal bonds, and then um, they'll have the variable rate, which is SIFMA, and they'll have a spread. So last week, SIFMA was a 187. So if you had a 4% bond, you're running a little little more than 200 basis points positive spread. Um, I was pretty shocked today when I hit uh, refresh. SIFMA reset to a 374, so it doubled Um, in seven days, and we were at a 386 in December, and I was talking about the fund JMST that buys some of this weekly rate paper. Um, When you think about it, a 3.74, if you divide it by uh, 1 minus 37%, so uh, 0.63, it's a taxable equivalent yield of a 594. And that's the tax exempt. Now, you compare that to SOFR, which is your secured overnight financing rate, and SOFR is taxable at a 455, which means SIFMA is 82% of SOFR. Um, We saw last year it was in the 50% range. It was too low. And then they kind of had a reset. And then we reached to the end of the year where a lot of folks don't uh, park funds in weekly rate. But what's happening is we're seeing competition. So SMA accounts and corporate accounts are shopping the rate between taxable and tax exempt. Um, and I'm trying to figure out and, and Trend and I were discussing it this weekend, you know, is SIFMA because it's a weekly rate, is it another data point that we can look at from a short term basis to de- to determine kind of, you know, cash flow situation um, and what's coming, kind of coming in the market and what's coming out of the market. So uh, I wasn't planning on talking about SIFMA today, but, um, uh, a very unusual move. I'll call J.P. Morgan tomorrow and and see what their desk is uh, is saying. But um, if you're in leveraged bond funds, uh, I would be keeping an eye on uh, short term rates and whether or not a squeeze is uh, is slowly grinding towards you. Um, what I did want to talk about is uh, muni rates. So um, I get a lot of questions about you know favorite funds and things like that. I'm not a big fund fan. I'm a credit fan. My favorite credit fund is MMIN. It is a fund that only invests in insured municipal bonds. And because they're insured, that means somebody in the insurance side did all the due diligence and they pretty much only insure essential service. So there was a clickbait article. B of A says uh, municipal defaults are on the rise and used 165 percent number. That was pretty much limited to nursing homes and hospitals, uh, which are you know not essential service. Essential service is going to be school, water, sewer, things like that. The fund has no uh, leverage in it, and the reason that I like to monitor it is it gives me an idea of net asset value and whether or not munis are selling off or whether they're um, they're uh, um, you know taking in money. So I put up a tweet um, today that had uh, three attachments to it, and then I did a, a reply to it with a couple more. And so I looked at MMIN, and I identified that on October 28th was the low point for MMIN, which means that would be sort of the highest yield, lowest price um, from the last year. And-, and and sorry, Brian, just for those uh,
0: listening in, I, I did put that in the nest. Uh, so just as, as Brian's going through that, you can... If you just kind of pull up slightly on the on the speakers, you can see that's the second uh, second tweet. So I I, I attached that to the nest.
4: Okay. Um, so the first one is just the, the data point of, of October 28th is a date in which we saw kind of highs in, uh, in in yields. The second is I pulled uh, MMD. So MMD is what we use to price municipal bonds in the primary market off off of. It's published every day in the Yields that's listed is for a AAA-rated entity with a 5% coupon callable in 10 years. And uh, I put – all the columns are labeled A through J, but I put where MMD was on January 3rd, the first trading day of the year, and then I put where it is today. And you can see that we have had a rally in rates. So just looking at the 10-year rate, 2033 maturity, Uh, we were at a 264 January 3rd, and now we're at a 223. The thing about the 223 is when you're talking munis, you have to convert that to a tax exempt rate. So it's called your taxable equivalent. And so if you take the 223 and you times it by one minus your tax bracket, usually you just use the highest tax bracket, which is 37%, so 0.63. So um, 2.23% divided by... 0.63 will equal 3.54%. So you would compare the 354 to, say, a CD and decide whether or not this is a good investment or not. Um, I then went back all the way to October and pulled the MMD from that time period. And in the 2033 10-year space, you're looking at we were at a 341, which is a change of 118 basis points or 34.6%. That is a monster move in yields uh, for for the muni space. And I went through all my trades. Um, I've been pretty public on uh, how aggressive I was by munis, individual munis, uh, in the Q3, Q4 of last year. And I actually bought a a Scott County um, school bond, Kentucky school bond, 2045, 23-year bond four is to yield a 4.903 and the taxable equivalent yield of that is a 7.783%. Now I live in Kentucky and so I have a state tax. So it would actually be higher because we have to pay state taxes. If you're in a state that doesn't have a, a state tax, then you really can kind of shop you know, around the country uh, in, terms of, um, in terms of your options. So that just gives you some, some data points in terms of uh, where we were, where we started the year at, and really where we are today. And there are more cuts today on MMD, so rates on the short end are going up a little bit. And then lastly on this yeah, and you topic, shared, Sorry,
0: you shared a tweet too, Brian, about um, if you go local munis as well, you can get kind of like an additional tax benefit. So I actually didn't realize that. So for those, uh, you know, go look at Brian's um, kind of some of his tweet replies today. Uh, he, he, he briefly touched base on that. So just wanted to touch that. Just wanted to mention that too.
4: Yeah, and so that brings me to my third one, which is we sold on uh, – what's the date today? Uh, today's Wednesday. So we actually sold yesterday um, a hometown issue, Fayette County Schools, uh, AA-rated. Um, it sold yesterday. It was uh, $37.5 million. And I put up uh, as, the third, um, as the third attachment the coupons and the yields from the transaction. And I put in a red bracket uh, the – Spread. So you can see where the, the MMD was in the spread from AAA that these bonds came at. And then I calculated for each of the maturities what's the tax equivalent yield. So people will send me a message and say, hey, you know, what's a good bond to buy or what's a good rate? And what you want to do is look in the primary market. So I bird dogged just the longest rate, which is 2048 maturity. And so if it's yielding a 4.1 and you divide it by 1 minus 37 percent, which is 0.63, you get a taxable equivalent yield of a 651. Now, that does not include, A, any benefit that you would get if you are a Kentucky resident, which I would get a um, a 4.5 percent benefit. And then locally, if you live in Fayette County, Kentucky, which I do, um, you would get the local tax benefit. That would make it what we call a triple tax-free bond. So you have single tax-free, double, and triple. Now, this bond, the reason I put it up is I actually can't buy it because my firm um, is a financial advisor on it. Um, so I, I I put it up. It's, it's not a recommendation. It's obviously a high-quality uh, piece of paper, but it gives you a roadmap as to where rates are, how they spread to that MMD AAA scale, and then how to compute the the taxable equivalent yield. And then the last thing I want to touch on is I took the same bond, because I I got a a message, and a bond is nothing more than a cash flow stream. And you really have to understand that that's all it is. And so uh, I replied to my tweet, and I put, if you were to buy that 2048 maturity, what is your return? And the bond would close on December 28th, And that's on the the spreadsheet I put up. And then every 9-1 and 3-1, you'd be getting an interest payment of roughly $500 or $1,000 a year if you invested $25,000. But you didn't pay $25,000 for it because the price is 98.444%. So you would pay $24,611, but you would get $25,000 at maturity or if it was called early. They can prepay it at the 10 year mark. And it shows you how to calculate what your interest stream is. And at the bottom in Excel, you can do XIRR the formula and it will compute for you your internal rate of return. And I computed it two ways. So because you're buying it at a discount, the 410 actually ends up being a 414 internal rate of return. But then if it goes to the call date, right? So if you buy a a 20 plus year bond but you get paid off in 10 years instead of maturity, that discount, you get paid that back, um, that little extra bump. And so your IRR, your internal return is four and a quarter. And so the point is, is if you wanna play in the muni bond space and you wanna buy individual bonds, just like we hear on the macro show or in any research that you do about doing the work, you gotta do the work, you gotta do the work. It's the same thing with these bonds. You have to put the time to understand the cash flow stream because that's really what you're buying. If you're buying TLT, if you're buying EDV, um, that's different. Those aren't necessarily a cash flow stream. Those can be a trade. Those can be an edge. But these are buying, you know, individual municipal bonds where they're not really a um, an item that you're trying to uh, to um, buy and sell. You're really holding it. And that's really it. The only other comment I have for you, Robert, um, on on the decision front is. Um, in my career, I had a, a boss that was uh, gave me a lot of good lessons. And one of his sayings was, not making a decision is making a decision. Absolutely.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely. A great rundown, Brian. I, I, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to, to do that. For for many here within Hedgehog Nation, it's, uh, you know, Midi Bonds have obviously become a uh, much more, Interested, uh, you know, por- portion of the asset allocation, and rightfully so. And you're an absolute pro and expert on it, so I'm very grateful for you sharing your wisdom and knowledge. And um, thanks to your wife for uh, not being around tonight so that you can uh, you can jump on.
4: <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to just send me a message. And I, you know, I speak to a lot of people on the phone and enjoy speaking to people on the phone about how the uh, municipal bonds work. And then, uh, yeah, my wife, uh, it's just anyone long Disney, you can thank my wife. Uh, yes. reported earnings. <laughs> I, I, and I, uh, I, she, my wife crushed it. My wife yeah. and her gift card purchases must have worked. It's uh, it's up like, I don't know, last I looked, 10% or something. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah so,
0: restructuring happening and all sorts of fun stuff there. Right? Parks are still killing it. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's – it's uh, Anyway, The uh, Freebird will have that update on the morning call tomorrow. But Good deal. I get, I get the uh, pleasure of uh, seeing him here in the office and he gave me the quick rundown before I jumped on. So it's always fun. Uh, Tom and, and Eric, um, Tom, you jumped on and Eric Carlisle. We'll, we'll go to, why don't we go to Tom first and Eric will come to you, buddy.
3: Okay. Yeah. I started. Um, thanks. Um, yeah, of course, Robert you. for uh, letting me talk. And I always appreciate you guys are all so knowledgeable. I've, I've been doing this a long time, but it's more of a hobby with me. I have a full-time job and I, I try to keep up with the markets as best I can. And hedge, does help uh, with that quite a bit um i had a couple questions and maybe just some comments to share about some of the things that you other guys have said that um i might be able to add just a little bit of value with um first of all on the options i think trend i don't think you uh said this but i think another benefit of this of the uh spreads that you were talking about um is the theta burn
9: robert you want me to go i'm I'm
3: sorry sorry.
9: eric can you just
0: hold on a second buddy tom tom yeah thanks man
3: yeah, so I think the with spreads. the spreads that um, Trent was talking about, you also um, mitigate the theta burn because the the short and the long kind of balances that out. is, is my understanding, so I think um, that's a, a nice thing to do. I did I, ha- I don't do options a lot. I did get into it many years ago. Um, for those wanting to explore it more, besides what Leslie had mentioned, um, there's Options Alpha. I think they have I think all their training on the site is free. If you look up optionsalpha.com. They also they also have a paid um, service where you can kind of follow along, the owner of it. I forget the, the guy's name. But he's very good, very responsive and, and that's
2: that's Kirk.
3: Kirk, yes. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's
2: optionalpha.com. Do they still have the service?
3: I don't know. I haven't looked
2: at it in a long it's time. It's been yeah, it's been years, but that is where I started learning options.
10: He okay, did an yeah.
2: amazing job um they have they've created a, a bot trading platform as the that's what you'll find if you go to the optionalpha.com landing page um but the videos are still in there it's under university or legacy or something like that i haven't looked in a while okay. but yeah it's there yeah
3: La- last time i was in, engaged with them um they were just starting a, a deal with uh, td ameritrade and thinkorswim to do their bot thing and um um, you could buy into it. I didn't. I didn't buy into it for lifetime service or anything like that. But it sounded very interesting. I should ch- check ba- back with them and see. Um, yeah, how that's uh, coming it, along. it's
2: up. Um, there's a bunch of people running on it. I have not had the time to dig into it. Um, I do have access, and it's just on the list. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so that's. Uh, oh, also, I think there's some. Trent mentioned. Um, doing paper trading. Thinkorswim is an excellent paper trading thing. And when I was doing options alpha, at, at the time he was really um, advocating for for selling, you know, the, the credit spreads and things like that for, for selling volatility. And um, that worked great. I paper traded it for like, I think two months on Thinkorswim. And the problem with paper trading is you got to really work hard to take it serious, pretend it's real money that you're working with. And I, I, and still I until I started getting profitable fairly consistently, I, I didn't start using real money. And then um, after that, I, I did okay with it. I, I'd find um, with credit spreads, you, you'd make a little money, five trades in a row, and then you'd lose it <laughs> pretty big. When it goes bad, it goes bad pretty good. At least that's that was my experience. So you got to kind of be careful there and manage risk. And um, Kirk does take you through all, all that. Uh, stuff in his training, so I, I highly recommend that. Um, regarding CDs, I, I forget who brought it up. I, if you remember, I know it's many, many weeks ago, probably several months ago. I in this um, forum, I mentioned I was looking at CDs to put some cash to work while while we're waiting for the uh, the, the storm clouds to pass. And I did do that a little bit, and then somebody in this forum mentioned, suggested that uh, I look at short-term treasuries instead, which I did, and it is a much better, a much better way to go. One, they're more marketable if you need to sell them early. Two, um, the state, the interest is um, not taxable in your state, so um, that you get free, you know, free interest there, is from a state income tax perspective, and. Um, also, I was going to say they're marketable, and I, I've been doing short-term, short-term ones. I lettered it out like three, six, twelve months is where I'm at now, and in um, that way, every three months you have part of your money coming back, and you decide to put it in the market or you know roll it out to the next year, so you have that ladder rolling along. Um, the last couple I did were like four and a half percent for for six months or maybe a year, a year out. So that's uh, I'm very happy with that. It's not beating inflation, but it's also not at much at risk either, so at least you're getting something back. Um, there's that. Um, oh, options. I've also been what, um, talking about the um, um, the leveraged ETFs, like the um, OPSQ oh, isn't leverage; it's inverse. But like the um, the QIDs and the QLDs and things like that. So um, because. the, the they're nice for short term, and I do I do use them for that. I don't go to the 3x; I'll go out to the 2x. Another thing I've been exploring, and I'm very interested in, is uh, futures. For that, you can get some pretty good leverage. I find futures they're they're a little more complicated than stocks and ETFs. They're not, in my mind, quite as complicated as options. You do really got to understand um, the multipliers and the um, and the um, the minimum amount that you have to put in and how that can work against you if, if your position is going against you. But that's a, a great a great thing to explore, I I think. And um, the other nice thing I like about it is that uh, most of them, at least the ones I've been using, are open pretty much 24, 24 hours a day um, during the week. And in thinkorswim anyway, you can have stop losses and trailing stop losses and get alerts on those things uh, throughout the night so that you don't wake up with a, a big drop a big surprise in the morning you might have a little surprise but you won't have a big surprise if you have your stops on or your trailing stops so that can that can be a benefit that's something that i really appreciate um so that's something people might want to explore and then the next thing that i have is just a couple of questions sorry i'm going on so long hopefully this is interesting um <laughs>
0: it is tom sorry yeah no it is, it is. you're doing a good job keep, okay keep, thanks. keep rolling keep rolling
3: so um, my, my one question is, I, I hear on Hedgeye people talk about the trend line, you know, we're going to break it or, or fall against it. I, the products I subscribe to are things like um, ETF Pro and um, investing ideas and risk ranges, where you get the ranges, but I, I don't think I've ever seen any, anywhere where the trend lines are published. Um, is that something that comes with Macro Pro or is there someplace else I should be looking for that information?
0: No, not the trends. Um, those, those are often mentioned on the macro show or, or um, in an early look like that. They're, they are. Some of those trend lines are published uh, inside of the macro themes deck. Um, so, okay. we did, so that's something new that we started in uh, with Q1. So, for instance, uh, sorry, I'm just pulling up the deck now. Um, some of the longs that we, uh, like some of the China exposures, pressure metal exposures. Uh, those trend okay. lines were those trend levels uh, were are provided uh, for a few things like FXE, k Web, that kind of like, just just in terms of like the, the China exposures. Uh, so those okay. are the, those are provided in the macro themes mid quarter update that we had yesterday. Um, so that is yes. Yeah, so those are there, but in terms of like an ongoing regular basis, those trend lines uh, aren't mentioned and, and typically uh, will be done so when when Keith, you know, when it kind of comes into his overall um, review and analysis and, and they, you know, becomes kind of worthy of, of mentioning type of thing, right, Tom?
3: Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought it, cause it's his proprietary algorithms that calculate that stuff out. He's not like looking back three months and picking a, a particular point on that's the cr- chart. He's that's, okay, that's correct. That's what I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah, that's correct.
3: Okay, Cool. So I'm not, I'm not missing anything that no. I should be getting as far as I can tell. <laughs> no. So thanks for that. And then um, the, my last thing is, and this might be a little bit longer discussion than you guys want, uh, or, or you guys probably already know this, but the, there's been a lot of talk of the zero DTEs. I, my understanding is that, you know, some people are, are buying lottery. The buyers are buying lottery tickets hoping that, you know, they, they spend a nickel on an option and they cash in for dollars. And then the, so that's the, buyer's motivation i don't necessarily buy into it and then the seller's motivation is well if i can pick up these nickels for free why not um so that's what i think my understanding or that's what my understanding is i'm not sure how right it is but my my part that i'm hoping to maybe you guys can help explain a little bit is how are these things moving the market so much you know if if you've got you know you know, two sides of a trade going on—the the buyers and the sellers of these options. How is that affecting the the, the broader market or, or the broader the broader market for those particular underlines that um, that those options are going against? Could anybody explain? So,
7: Tom, name? there's a lot of misconception about zero DT. So, I'll go step by step. Right. So, first one, you mentioned that the buyer has a lottery buying kind of disposition. Uh, True for mostly retail sort of crowd, but that's a very small sub-segment at about 6 to 7% uh, of the volume. Uh, The majority of volume is from high-frequency firms. Uh, These are high-frequency firms who for the past decade had um, mastered the art of understanding what the MOC auction would be. So MOC is Uh, market-on-close. And market-on-close is a very big... uh, you know, knowledge based by itself, you can research about it and find out uh, basically in the last 10 minutes, uh, funds who want to have no basis related uh, problems at the close, they end up coming there and saying, okay, you know, we tried buying X number of shares during the day, but we want to buy the remainder right now. And this is a price which we are willing to buy. And it's an auction process. So, you know, the Prices keep changing within that 10-minute period. Uh, usually, they're not a uh, huge swing. But typically, you'll at 3.50 p.m. Eastern, you'll see some sort of minor volatility that gets embedded if the expected MOC imbalance number is different than what these HFT firms expected. So, these there are multiple firms who used to compete in this. Um, and uh, the margin on it is very thin but they apply so much leverage on it that um, it's uh, absolutely uh, worth doing it. Uh, And I'm right now not describing zero DTM. I'm describing the uh, guessing uh, where the buy order is and trying to front run it just by sensing using the order books. Okay, so these Mm firms are basically running machine learning, deep learning, sort of algorithms on the order books because they have direct market access. And you can find a ton of scores of papers on this in Google Scholar on how to do machine learning on order book, be it for options or be it for, uh, you know, any, any given market, be it commodities market, be it ETF market, be it the U S equities, European equities, doesn't matter. You'll find a bunch of uh, research papers on this. (coughs) So the HFT firms uh, have their own proprietary mechanisms of finding out where that, uh, small juices by which they can keep making money. Uh, now, who all are the participants in this? Um, so, other than the three firms that Keith keeps naming, like Siskiana, uh, Citadel, or Millennium, uh, there's actually other players in it as well. So, for example, uh, Goldman has one desk which does that. They also provide tools to their institutional clients who want to do this. So, if you go to their website, uh, just by searching Goldman Sachs AWS. Uh, They tout about providing these kind of ammunition or tools uh, with Python notebooks and other things for the institutional clients to do their own analysis and execute on this. Now, since that business was getting crowded due to easily available ammunition and arms, it it became like an arms race, right? Uh, People started posting their uh, servers right next to the Exchange server in New Jersey, um, and, and they also started competing on the fiber length and whatnot. And you'll find a whole bunch of information about this on the web as well as on YouTube uh, if you want to you know, go through that exercise. Now, those HFT firms, whoever survived, there's a bunch of other ones, um, such as TradeWorks is there and a few others are there, um, who not only survived but thrived, um, and they went to the uh, further extent of trying to find all these event-driven alphas, So uh, they tried finding event driven alpha and, hey, which will be the next stock that will be included in the index? And how can we form a trade around that? And it's a probabilistic game, right? They don't know exactly which stock is going to be included. They know 10 stocks, which are a high probability of which three or five or seven would be included. And then they try to guess on the other side a basket, which will be excluded. uh, And then they try to trade around that. Why am I sharing all this? Is because the same set of people became the institutional people who jumped in order to have this uh, zero DT options action Um, on the seller side, it's not collecting nickels in front of steamroller. The sellers actually hedge it out on the other side by Delta hedging. There are specialized Delta hedging desks. What they would do is they would say, okay, I'll make the market. I'll give you the bid and the ask, right at 10 AM. The bid and the ask is kind of wide for this kind of instrument which is fairly liquid, in which they can easily hedge it out at not much of a cost, but they'll still keep it wide. And then they would provide that liquidity. So that's the liquidity providers. They're making a bank on this at above uh, the cost of uh, capital for them. And the buyers are buying it uh, while doing all this estimation through all the order books of all the constituents of S&P 500. And uh, because they had specialized this or they had mastered this art of where the MOC imbalance is going to be there, they can utilize the same asset base or same knowledge base in order to gauge where the SPX is going to close. So as soon as this product came out, the SPX 0DTE, it was amazing. They could could leverage their existing knowledge base and their tools and ammunition in order to take advantage of the SPX 0DTE. So uh, it's not some retail trying to buy a lotto in order to make money, or it's not any manipulation. Of course, there's some sort of reflexivity that happens. So within that uh, 15, 20 minutes, uh, in the last, um, in the end, 20 minutes, you'll see that there's some sort of uh, volatility that happens. But all this notion about zero DT volume causing some sort of manipulation intraday is all humbug, okay? These are nothing but HFT firms who are, doing, who are doing MOC imbalance-related trades in the past, probabilistic trade, they are not 100% certain, meaning there's no guarantee that they'll make money every day. And they flatten out every day, meaning they do not carry over these positions over multiple sessions. So anyone telling you that, hey, 0DT is causing this upward trajectory in s 500 just does not understand what that whole mechanism is, who the players are in it. It does influence the uh, the price of the underlying of S&P 500 for that day, but only up until 4 p.m. At 4 p.m., everything is squared out. These players are flat, the buyers. The sellers are delta hedged, right? So there's no manipulation going on. This is just people who used to front-run large institutional orders, and I shouldn't say the word front-run, these to estimate the large institutional orders through their science and statistics and um, other mechanisms are now capable of taking advantage of this derivative product, and that's what they're doing. So I hope this helps, you know, because uh, there's a lot of misinformation about this, especially by people who don't understand the space well. So just wanted to share that information out there. And yeah, there's and- an interesting article on this one, Zero Hedge, uh, about it as well you can refer to that, but it's hard to put two and two together until you get this background about it.
3: Yeah, excellent. Um, excellent, trend. That's very, very helpful. Yeah, and Tom,
0: what else to add to that is, you know, the liquidity is a big piece, right? So if, if the volume and liquidity isn't isn't there, and market depth isn't there, which it hasn't been uh, for, um, you know, for the last, for, for a while, to be honest, but uh, when particularly, you know, this year and then the high frequency traders figuring this piece out, uh, it doesn't quite work, as well, and and likely where uh, you know zero DTT zero DTE um, like volume has increased really ever since kind of uh, for the last call two years ever since kind of twenty one, and there's a slide a slide thirty in the macro themes deck from yesterday that that highlights the increase in in, in call volume, uh, US total option call volume. Uh, going back to to February two thousand, so the last uh, you know twenty three years, but the yeah. So again, what I'll, I'll echo and and trends summarizes it very well there. Uh, but again, volume is a big piece here, and and as as volume comes in, um, you know it doesn't get quite get pinned in the same same manner as 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 you saw yesterday got pinned to four fifteen because there you know was a bunch of volume on on the four fifteen calls, and then uh, today at uh, you know the puts were at four ten, uh, they're you know four hundred and eighty. One thousand contracts, I believe, that uh, that were that that from a volume standpoint, that traded at, at four ten today. Um, so again, this this mechanism, uh, but you know, volume was relatively light um, in terms of uh, across many assets or many pieces of inventory. Uh, you know, if you kind of look at that, the volume um, today versus uh, versus yesterday, where the volume uh, did did uh, did. It was quite uh, high, right? It was 26% higher on a day-over-day basis, uh, 17% on a on a one-month average. So um, we did see volume uh, come in yesterday, uh, but I, I, I suspect certainly on a day-over-day basis. And what I was seeing on the board is that volume is going to be um, weaker on a day-over-day and, and that kind of thing. So just keep that in mind as well.
3: Okay, yeah, thank you. That's very helpful.
7: Yeah, awesome.
0: All right, well, let's, um, so Eric, uh, he was up next, and then um, I'll come to Andrew and, and Alan as well. You guys got your hands raised. Uh, but Eric, welcome uh, Welcome to Weekly Notebook Review. Yeah, no, I, I,
9: first off, Trin, that was a <clears throat> perfect summary of uh, ODT, and I, I really appreciate uh, you dispelling a lot of myths uh, <clears throat> that exist out there for it. I do disagree that people... And zeroing out their full uh, exposures. Um, if only you look at the, uh, the the traded volumes on the next day DTE, uh, you'll you'll see that uh, they're not necessarily fully zeroing out their their exposures associated with it. Um, right,
7: and th- the, that's a different strategy. So what
5: you're describing,
9: I'm just saying that uh, that's exactly. It's, it's not always true that they are completely zeroing out. I know this from the people, some of the people who are actually doing this. <clears throat> the second thing is the reason why this is suppressing volume so much is because the institutions now have a new way of getting on exposure versus uh, an S&P uh, uh, exposure or a regular S&P exposure with less slippage. And that means that individual... You mean
7: suppressing volume or suppressing volatility? Volatility. Okay. Yeah. You said volume. Okay.
9: Yeah. Uh, Against it. And so institutions are using this in order to suppress volatility to be able to put on, if I'm a vanguard and I have to put on, you know, $9 $9 million worth it or $50 million worth of, uh, of S&P exposure, I can use these options as a way to suppress the slippage that I would get if I went into the individual stock transactions. And it's just happening and we all need to understand that.
7: So um, I did speak with Vanguard folks and they don't use 0DT at all or 1DT. No, they
9: don't, but they're taking advantage of it is what I'm saying.
7: No, they just stand, Eric, at the end of the day as MOC, um, okay. MOC volume on the other side of the auction, and these HFT firms just supply them with what they need based upon their estimates of what they're going to need. So there's, let's say, five different participants, right? So TradeWorks, SSGA, I mean, Siskiana, or a bunch of others, um, they'll just accumulate whatever they estimated that Vanguard is going to need. They'll give it to Vanguard on the MOC uh, auction. And then rest, they'll flatten out at water cost. So yeah. they don't—they don't actually carry forward. That's the business model for HFT. They do not carry forward market risk to the next day.
9: Um. Finally, uh, Robert, I have three other things here. Number one is XLC versus Telcom. You never got me back an answer in terms of whether we're using the XLC or the two-digit gets. Uh this is holding up my research and I really need to understand that.
0: Yes, yeah, so I I did uh reach I did reach out and we I'm I'm still trying to get an answer for you, Eric, so it's not that you're um but I would go off the of telecom for right now.
9: You would go off the telecom and the st- two digit gigs as opposed to the Correct. uh XLC Yes. Okay. Yes. And, uh, than the single digit x. Okay, yep. uh, interesting to me today that K web was not added in Macro Pro after Keith talked a whole lot about it uh, in the in the Macro show this morning. Uh, that he was he was holding off on adding any new <laughs> because of the envelope risk uh, around the state of the union. And then he didn't add any. And I'm just wondering if anybody had any insights regarding K-Web on that. And finally, the last observation that I wanted to make was we have been in the chop bucket for 109 days. I don't know how many trading days, but 109 days uh, in the VIX with the market from 3,700 up to 4,100, which is, you know, which is, you know, more than almost 11% uh, uh, change um, is the chop bucket the new investable bucket and that's the, 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 those are just questions that I wanted to throw out there
7: I mean I can take a stab at the chop bucket as investable bucket piece so I would reconcile that or I would rephrase that as if if uh, one has extremely tight risk management, then most likely at about Jan 9th or Jan 10th, you'd have gotten signals uh, within your portfolio or whatever that, however, your position was probably not long enough and that you had to go long. Meaning, I personally got a ton of signals that I need more long beta on my portfolio. And that's around the time when I started sharing on the spaces that, hey, you know, I'm cut- cutting my. European shorts um, as soon as they hit my stop losses or whatever, and I did cut them. Uh, At the same time, I did go long, um, slowly steadily between 10th and 26th of January, and on 26th, I think I shared the relative rotation graph of what's right now um, doing really well versus not. Um, There are two alternatives always, right? So one could just be in cash and not let this... Uh, counter-trend uh, sort of rally uh, bother you. Uh, but if you're active, if you're long-short, then one should definitely have extremely stringent risk management in place. So the the, the reason why firms like Citadel or Millennium multi Strat funds made so much uh, returns last year is primarily because they have extremely tight risk management for their PMs to a degree where PMs sometimes don't want to work for these firms because you don't get, one, you may not get adequate capital, or two, you might just be super on the edge to constantly keep going in the direction of where the market is going. So I know Keith likes to say that uh, the uh, performance chasing PMs, but that's how their risk management works. So if on 9 Jan or 10 Jan, if they got a you know tap on their shoulder from the risk management that hey you are too short, um, then they immediately turn around and go long, because they have those constraints. If they were down five to seven percent, they're out. You know their capital line collapses, the entire portfolio is busted, and they're gone. So, if for personal reasons, if one is running a long short, one should have a similar sort of risk management in place. One cannot have uh, longs returning three percent while your shorts are up. you know, that's not prudent risk management at all. Uh, The second part I would say is that the entire TGA piece, right, the Treasury general account piece has been going on since December. So um, I know that in the mid-quarter update, we had a mention of that, which is great, but that whole um, mechanism by which certain liquidity is injected in the market causing this kind of an, upward pressure, especially in risk assets and financial conditions easing, is going to stay here till the debt ceiling is resolved, right? So the catalyst on the downside are either debt ceiling gets resolved in next few weeks to a few months or we get some sort of geopolitical conflict or we just have a huge credit event with one of the major S&P 500 companies resulting into some sort of cascade. Um, so you know, one should try to game theory out some of these catalysts and see. Be on the lookout for that sort of a uh, piece. But otherwise, yeah, this this is an invest. This is an investing market uh, where one definitely needs to lean on the long side. If one is not leaning on the long side, then you know the underperformance is significant because year to date, S and P five hundred is up uh, what seven, yeah, seven percent or something. Uh, and from the period where you mentioned it's up 11% or 12%, NASDAQ is up even more. NASDAQ is up year-to-date, year 15 So depending upon what your benchmark is, um, one would want to make sure that uh, the exposure beta-wise is in that form. And yes, this is an investing regime uh, or investable regime. At the moment, not for a long-term allocation, it needs to be actively managed. So um, I hope that helps. That's my view on the current setup. I, I don't know if it answered your question. Again, anything I'm saying is not not an advice. It's just my opinion. So, back to you, Eric.
9: No, I appreciate it, Trent. And, and, and it makes a whole lot of sense. I, I just the, the long have had horrible alpha days, <laughs> you know, the Thursday last Thursday and last Tuesday that 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 Keith is uh is 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 highlighting here and I just wish that he would add some more beta into the into the long portfolios if we see this set of events and that's and and I can go through you know the signals that I have here and add those in and I think it would cause a whole lot less pain for 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 some of the people
7: Right, but Eric, that's where you know I think Rob also emphasizes this, um and I think Keith also talks about this, uh on the show that what he's saying is not a portfolio, right? So I usually take all the inputs as an augmentation to my process. I try to keep my process as my process because I'm the steward of my capital, right. Tomorrow, if my p n l is down fifteen percent compared to the market, I mean relative to the market, it's just me because I can't rely on just one research house for all my sourcing of ideas. Right. Um, I just have a huge playbook of strategies. Like if you're playing football, you cannot have one strategy and expect to uh, win the football game. Right. Um, Typically a coach tends to have like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 strategies. So similarly in investment, I mean, I believe that different regimes, of liquidity, of volatility, of, uh, you know, there's many factors in which you can qualify a market regime. Uh, different regimes require different kind of strategies. So the moment you see a regime coming into play, then you have to deploy those strategies in place in order to take advantage of that. So uh, Dalio had a quote on this. I forgot the exact quote, but it had something to do about Similar aspect that depending upon your regime, um, you have to put your strategy in place and see how it works out. So uh, I think characterizing the alerts or anything coming out of the research house as portfolio wouldn't be a great idea. I mean, I, I just use it for augmentation as an input source, as one of the signals. There are multiple signals that go into the portfolio. Some of them are my homegrown data pipeline signals. Some of them are from other sources. Um, The bottom line is that I consider myself as the, meaning the buck buck stops with me, right? Like I consider myself as the ultimate steward of the capital. um, And I'm the investment committee of one (laughs) for my (laughs) portfolio. And I have to make sure that I'm prudent at that. That's all
0: I have to add.
5: Rob back yeah, it's a heck
0: of a committee you got there, Trent, I'm not gonna lie. Uh but yeah, and Eric just in terms of the China thing, uh, you know, three out of the top ten in his in his long only and his mofo account, uh are is China exposure and, and we could say uh one could say that uh, New Zealand is it would be a fourth so four out of the top ten. Uh so again, I mean, it could just be a sizing thing that he's got on, Eric, in regards to uh wishing to get, you know, more exposure. The uh, SEC the, the China in terms of the risk range it did put in a lower high, but a higher low. Uh so there is some consolidation there. So he might just be waiting for a little bit of confirmation from the from the um from the Shanghai um, index there. But again, you know, the with that said as well though, he did add a China exposure to ETF Pro around three-ish today uh so you know that could be another and you know, that's another way to communicate um that adding you know adding adding additional Chinese exposure uh post the update via re-rank um right so there's there's that piece too but i, I don't really have a good answer i don't um he definitely talked about it i think this is you know piggybacking off a trend uh, depending on your sizing of K Web, if uh, if you needed to gross back up, it was down near the low end of the risk range, and and could have, would you know is potentially uh, it appears as it it would be a good place to do that. Um, so again, the kind of one of these things where uh, it all depends on your current portfolio construction position, position sizing. Again, I know you know all this, Eric, but just reiterating it for um, everyone else out there uh, that uh, you know there, there's there's. Um, yeah you
7: got to use all the pieces of the puzzle right so hope that also one important aspect i would add is the importance of some sort of stop loss to define the risk because like one cannot have a short position go like 30 40 50% going against you um so definitely uh, having uh, or, or even long position for that matter it doesn't matter yeah. which side it yeah. is right long or short um, one has to exercise uh, prudent risk management also again it depends on the time horizon too right like for example when uh, March 2020 happened uh, Munger bought into one of the pharma firms I'm trying to remember which one Avi, yeah Abby it went I think he bought it at like 95 or 100 or something 120 it went all the way down to 80 and he bought some more right Um so he probably, you know, his uh, his pieces he wanted to collect for sizing his uh, AVI uh, position was spread out over such a wide set of strikes, right? Like 120, 180, whatever. Uh, and then eventually it turned around and gave him whatever he needed. Uh, he obviously needed liquidity, he needed size of the company and he had willingness for another 50% drawdown if that were to happen. And it did happen with him in case of Alibaba, right? So different investment style. um, And if one is looking for something like that, then, you know, there are many opportunities, especially in the, uh, if you go down like the micro cap or the small cap list, there's so many companies out there uh, which were like that uh, in late last year. But Uh, The reason I'm sharing that is because I personally don't keep something which would have that kind of a huge drawdown if it's at full position size, meaning at around 4% or 5% or whatever it is. Um, But for somebody else, they might want to carry it. They might want to carry it until it becomes half and then wait for it to become five times after that. Depends on their thesis, depends on their conviction, depends on their portfolio construction Uh, focus Uh, and also depends on their level of activity. Some folks are passive. They're buying a business, right? They buy a business, sit on it for five, 10 years, and then exit out after that. And that's perfectly fine too. So again, you know, what are suits? One's philosophy on investment uh, or, you know, the suitability aspect is very individual and personal.
6: Yeah. And we've
0: talked about it a couple of times in terms of just from a pure math standpoint, once you go beyond twelve percent, you know you need more and more up, uh, you basically return or, or um, upside in order to get to break even. Uh, so that that math is very readily available. Uh, again, twelve uh, percent is kind of that number where if you're um, down twelve, kind of got to be up twelve. But once you get to thirteen, you know because it just gets harder and harder. Uh, or sorry, you just need more and more of a move, not necessarily harder, but just more and more a move. Um, awesome. Well, we're coming up on the hour, so Alan, uh, why don't we get your hand raised? uh welcome back my friend
6: and we'll thank you. you so yeah. much thank you so much uh for taking my question um again I, I you know i think the question will imply that i'm new um but i just kind of want to you know this i the way i see it is when you say things like volatility suppression it, to me it's just noise because the way i see it is like you know when it comes to these bear market rallies obviously it's important to you know pay attention to risk ranges in terms of the assets that we want and of course it's a long short book for a reason because you really can't do all in or all out of, of one or the other so my real question is is how do you kind of you know i guess uh risk manage you know certain longs like you know there's all kinds of strategies like inverse etfs and stuff like that uh without necessarily thinking hey i'm i'm, I'm going long not just because it's at the loan end of the range but also everyone else is FOMOing. So, like, let's just go with that. Because to me, when I hear volatility suppressed, it just kind of sounds like a, a, a lazy way for everyone to just kind of make money because everyone knows reality, right? But obviously, um, when you see things that are high short interest, that are just making new highs, you know, um, obviously, when it, when it comes to risk management, you really have to, like, wait and watch. And I, I suppose when you see you know um one side of your book kind of making these gains when you prune and then try and replant you know in terms of certain shorts sometimes they don't always get into uh you know ideal positions in terms of top end of the range or or low end of the range so i guess my my question is is how do you kind of like how do you kind of contextualize you know bear market rallies in terms of like hey you know it's okay if you um uh, you know, miss out on certain opportunities, or, or you know, I guess there's a lot of anxiety when it comes to do going either way, um, and uh, I guess uh, my main, I guess my really my main concern is, uh, you know, because of reality, economic reality, it's it's very intriguing to go long certain things. Um, I think the answer to my question is just the process, just fuck the noise, just. Low end of the range, top end of the range, that's kind of what I look at. And that has saved me so many times from making a really bad mistake. Um, but when it comes to days like today where, you know, shorts are up, it, it's it's just um, uh, trying to replant is a little bit of my challenge um, because we're so focused on, like, I guess just not losing, where I don't I, – I, I guess I FOMO on my own gains because I think, man, like, had I X, then – would have made more if if that kind of makes sense yeah um i suppose uh uh how do you kind of fade the noise and uh in terms of like hey you know everyone's with these options and stuff like that how do you kind of fade those kinds of things um you know and i i stick to etfs because they're they're less volatile but um you know and also i think he kind of answered some of that question because he was saying a lot of these things have to be very actively managed And so it's really about the time you you dedicate to these kinds of things. And obviously, um, you know, I want to imply that I am new because, you know, people, bro, people have jobs and shit. You feel me? Like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, like, does that make sense? Like, I'm actively, I'm actively trying to prune and plant uh, my long and short book. But obviously with just so many people just going like blindly, just, hey, I'm buying all these zero DTEs. Whoopi whoop de doo, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, it almost seems like it's overcomplicated to oneself. It's like just, it's kind of almost implying, hey, you should just kind of be an idiot too and, you know, just give in. Mm-hmm. But obviously, we have to be aware of economic reality in terms of trends, tails, and, and trades. So, how do you kind of follow the trend, but without being too obsessed with the trade? Because everyone is, I guess not everyone, but, um, you see the gains in the trade whereas obviously the trend is really where we want to be i'm sorry uh yes the trend is really the move where you want to be but obviously the the trade is just kind of it's overdone you know it can just keep going you know top of the range makes new highs you know obviously i think the anxiety meter is kind of there um
7: alan you know i'll tell you a couple of things right so Activity does not mean progress. Okay, I'll repeat. Activity does not mean progress. Correct. So, for returns on a portfolio, first of all, returns does not mean the process was always right, and one has to uh, one has to be really, uh, uh, really, really cognizant uh, about are you attributing correctly. You know, for example, uh, the famous uh, uh, poker player. Uh, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, she was on one of the uh, hedge guest uh, uh, speakers. Uh, she has written a bunch of books. Annie Duke, Annie Duke. Annie Duke. So she, yeah, she has a specific term for this called resulting. And you know, I actually met her once uh, at a VC firms uh, office a really famous VC firm in Silicon Valley. Um, uh, they have a 16 in their name, right? I wouldn't name them. But um, uh, over there, she was actually giving uh, this uh, set of uh, advice or her nuggets to all the partners over there who are actively going out and seeking deals and looking for opportunities, et cetera, right? And um, in many ways, VC investing, portfolio investing uh, is similar to poker play, playing to a certain degree. Okay, not completely, but to a certain degree. And the key nugget for me out of many nuggets that you gave was resulting. So when things go right, calling oneself a smart person and when things go wrong, attributing them to bad luck um, is a very easy and lazy mechanism that human brain can do the attribution with, okay? It's, it's a very um, obvious mechanism to do, but one can um, steer clear of it by, you know, I use journaling. I'm not advising that it's possible for everybody to do it. So first things first is one has to figure out what frequency of investment portfolio allocation adjustments is suitable for me and feasible for me so for example you know you mentioned you have a job Um, then you determine that of the 40 hours of your job outside of that you want to probably give 20 hours to your family or more you know uh, you want to sleep 40 hours right in a week so what is left how much time do you want to give to this right so that's first determine how much time you can allocate one to learn and two to actually the game then second for that level of time what is uh, uh, a comfortable level of um, expectation uh, that you have be it in form of returns or be it in form of uh, commitment of actions that you're willing to do right because you don't want to be distracted like you're probably working you know you're in your important office meeting um, or you're working with your client or whatever, and suddenly you're like, ooh, that alert came, now I need to act, right? Where's my app? I want to do that buy or sell or whatever, right? You don't want to have that. So uh, some folks have automated that kind of uh, thing. Uh, Ernie Chan has written a really good book or a bunch of books on on this where he has said that he has given steps like this, what I'm describing to you, right? Like First define like how much time you have available. Is it early morning? Then you do just futures in that you know five a.m. to eight p.m. Sorry, five a.m. to eight a.m. space. Then eight a.m. you go to office uh, or in the night or whatever you define that, Uh, and you for the rest of the day you can decide you can automate or you can just do normal portfolio allocations like people do for four hundred one k. Set it and forget it, right? I've I've read so many retirement surveys uh, by the uh, you know there's these institutional retirement service that are done by larger foreign key providers the annual active user so you know how facebook has this measure called daily active user right d-a-u-s or m-a-u-s sure. so similarly the annual active user meaning a person who actually logs into the foreign k portal or 403b portal is 28 percent so those people just set it and <laughs> forget it And believe me, some of those people have beaten all other active market participants, hands down. (laughs) So the reason I'm sharing this with you is that I wanted to emphasize on what I mentioned. Activity does not mean progress. Uh, And if you don't have bandwidth, then again, this is not an advice, right? If you don't have bandwidth, then figure out what's feasible and suitable to you. Because the benchmark is really, really tough to beat. If you keep s and 500 as your benchmark, keep in mind s and 500 also has huge drawdowns, right? So for example, when right. March right. 2020 happened, there was a 30, 35% drawdown. Um, if that is not suitable for you, then your your benchmark could be VBINX, V-B-I-N-X. That's the Vanguard fund for 6040. Uh, it doesn't have 35% drawdown, but you can look it up how much it has. Um, so long story short, figure out your time allocation you can hear, figure out feasibility, figure, then figure out how much activity you can do, and then decide you want to be active or passive.
6: Okay, so just kind of as a follow-up to what you just said, because I think the relation to poker is important. I think there was the, the Martino booth interview was great because one thing they mentioned, there's a bit of a chess element and a bit of a the hand you're dealt element. And so in March of 2020, that's actually when I discovered Hedgeye Um I understood the concept of obviously like uh things that are important longs and things that because of the activity and the volatility of of being short. So to me I'm I'm not married to anything. I will curb anything. I'll just be in and out and I just have a pile and it's just about building the pile. But it's just to me, um a lot of the times I I find myself sitting on my hands and you know, uh, I'm just like, man, like Obviously, um, you want to be more active, and I think uh, I think you you are spot on in terms of the time because I think that's that's something that maybe not a lot because I, I I think everyone just assumes that we're all like just glued on it, you know. And if I mean, there's a lot of emotion tied to it, so I'm sure shit, many people are. But um, you know, when I guess when you're trying to prune and plant and then use the pile elsewhere in terms of real estate or expanding a business things like that um to me it's okay to be you know active for in in terms of knowing the quads knowing the duration of certain trades and and certain um, allocations and stuff like that and um i I suppose uh what i'm asking is is how do you just not get caught up in all this noise that's just kind of going on right now obviously uh there's a lot of you know Coverage on Alan.
0: Just turn the, it off. The
6: options market.
0: Alan, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt, buddy. Uh, just turn it off, man. Just try to, just block it out. Whether if it, if it's bothering you again, like I, I got, I'll, I'll give you a little secret. I read, I read nothing of the Wall Street. I would read nothing other than important stuff in regards to biographies. Or things that are going to help me build myself as a person, right? So, the David Goggin, book, Goggin books, the uh, Thinking Fast or Slow, the um, all those kind of things, right? Building your character, building your per- person as a uh, you know the the TVs are on here in the t in, in the office on mute, and that's the only time I ever look at or see CNBC. And I finally convinced the guys to turn on Bloomberg TV for for the majority of the of uh, uh, rather than watching the nonsense on, on cnbc uh but even bloomberg's not that great and
7: same with your phone notifications you can turn off your phone yeah, notifications yeah. so again too. i mean like
0: the noise is the noise and and <clears throat> but but that's a whole nother conversation <clears throat> excuse me for another day i think the biggest thing here is is the noise is, is relatively focused on the us uh, and the fomo is here in the us if you look globally and that's the beauty about our process is that it's a macro uh, macro landscape. We can go anywhere. You've got bullish trend in China. You've got bearish trend in Nikkei. You've got bullish trend in DAX. You're bearish on Microsoft. Neutral on Apple, which means wait and watch, do nothing. Amazon is bearish, right? You go up the down the list in terms of uh, you've got multiple things that you can do inside of uh, the commodity complex, both both from bullish and bearish trends. Uh, you know, Meta, Google, Netflix, Tesla, right? The, you, you get the risk ranges. You can see them. Um, so, again, there's like lots of places to, to – to, to go and, and look. And um, the other thing too, is, is it doesn't, you know, the noise is the noise, right. And, and, and blocking it out, it can be very hard, Alan, but when you are freed of it, you, you, it's amazing the amount of extra time that you have in a day, either to continue to build upon your process. If that's like what is something that you're interested in and, you know, like myself or trend uh, who, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's something that we're incredibly passionate about. And, and that's what uh, landed me here at Hedgeye, right, is uh, it was basically my um, favorite thing to do outside of hanging out with my family. And so I spent a lot of time uh, just trying to harness it and diving into the process and building out um, what um, kind of what I have today. And, and it, but it completely it continues to evolve every day. I, I find something new that I can tweak or um, add to the, my process. And, and it keeps uh, ideally the goal is to keep getting better and better. Um, uh, every day, right? So, you know, these, the, the trend is it's spot on. And I've said this a couple of times, either here or on a beginner's guide, but you got to understand and try to first, before you even make a trade, really, you got to try to, um, harness and, and really dig deep and take a step back as to what is the goal here? Is it compound capital? Is it preserve and protect? Uh, and again, I would say our fundamentals is preserve, protect, and compound. So it's trying to do all three. And that's like really the, the foundational aspect of, of Hedgeye. But in this environment, I'm more so talking about like this environment, um, you know, what? Uh, you know how active can you be in the CHOP bucket? Uh, you know, the, the CHOP right now may feel investable to going to Eric's point in regards to, uh, but that's mainly because we're right on the top end of the investable bucket, uh, which is, you know, 19 and below. Um, so this is where, at the low end of the chop bucket, it can feel a little bit more like the investable bucket, but we are still squarely in the chop. You've got uh, a day up, a day down, two days up, two days down, right? This is that's the definition of of the chop, and you've got big, you know, relatively large volatility swings. Almost everything that's happening is very quad four oriented, especially if you take a, a. a, a bird's eye view or, or, or kind of zoom out a little bit and you look at what's happening in, in oil and oil demand, right? And the in the signal there, you're looking at natty gas. I mean, that thing can't catch a bit. Uh, you're looking at what's happening in the U.S. Treasuries, the dollar. Um, you know, over in Asia, it's, you know, you, you're getting China and the related, um, you know, relative kind of boost around there in terms of exposures that might benefit from increased exposure, you know, increased uh, demand and activity in, in inside from a GDP standpoint within China. Uh, so those related entities are, are working, the signals getting better. Uh, so again, I mean, I think it's just, uh, it's one of these things where you, you take that, that, uh, that general view and that, that more grander view, um, and it becomes a lot easier to block out the noise. And it's, it, I'll tell you this, it, it's amazing how much additional time you have for other things. Um, and again, you can do whatever it is, whether it's to your point, Alan, you know, building a business. And that's the other beauty of hedge is that you don't always have to deploy it on on inside of your inside of your portfolio although obviously that is what it's geared for geared towards but i, I can not tell you the number of folks i you know whether it's at the regional events or just through more general engagement with hedger nation that deploy it within their business or making better or making better um investment um general investment decisions in terms of uh you know pivoting right whether it be selling a piece of real estate or uh, becoming a, a lender um, inside of the real estate market rather than being a buyer of assets, right? So you're kind of taking on the credit, you know, and you moving to the credit side of that kind of thing, right? So just pivoting across the board. And I think that's a huge piece within Hedgeye that goes beyond just um, the portfolio allocations and the, and the portfolio construction. It, it really can uh, disseminate into uh, the real world, whether it's be running a business or making decisions inside a business and or uh, the accountability, transparency, trustworthiness that, you know, is another kind of foundational, three foundational components uh, that we we really believe on here in, in at Hedgeye.
6: Thank you so yeah, much. Man. Thank you so much, sir. It's a big pleasure to be part of Hedgeye and just what it is and the value. Absolutely, brings. buddy.
0: No, I appreciate it. Uh, Palmer, you, you jumped on. I don't know if you had uh, some additional um, content or color to give, uh, to provide here in this conversation, but. Well, I was going <clears> to, <throat> uh, can you hear yeah, me?
8: Yeah, yeah, okay. we're good. Yep. Uh, I had to, I had to jump off for a minute and take care of something. Um, there was a guy earlier talking. I was just going to mention two quick things. He was talking about, you know, just savings rates, rates at banks. Um, Investopedia publishes a monthly rundown of like the top savings rates for all banks across the country. Uh, and there was a, uh, looking this morning for work for we've got a bunch of cash we need to park somewhere. We're trying to figure out where to put it. And uh, there's a I can't remember what the bank was called, Infamous or something like that, but they've got like a a 5% APY just savings account, and there's no term, no CD, nothing. So um, if anybody's looking to park some cash somewhere. And then he also had commented on the uh, uh, trying to figure out what, uh, you know, trend is um, on, I I know, you know, it's not a perfect proxy for it, but I use the bridge bands and I, I run them. And on TD Ameritrade, I run them at 63 days and I run them at 15. And while it's not perfect, it, it does give a pretty good proxy uh, for kind of establishing a trend that you can utilize, kind of like how Keith does. And it, at least helps you risk manage a little bit better. I found that's worked pretty well for me um, in terms of kind of seeing where, you know, how a position may be breaking down or, or where it may be headed. Um, like I said, it's not perfect, but. I I use that 15 day as kind of a trade level and it's definitely worked to, you know, save me a few times on some positions. So just a thought on that.
0: Awesome. Well, I think with that, we're going to kind of wrap it up tonight. So appreciate everybody for jumping in.
10: Uh, It's been a great session as usual, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place. All the best, everyone. This presentation is informational only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute investment recommendation or legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is now responsible for errors inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at Hedgeye.com Terms of Service. Don't forget to check out Hedgeye.com to get more actionable investing insights from our team of more than 40 research and And check us out on Twitter at our handle, at Hedgeye.